For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that's the ending to the Lord's Prayer. But there's a problem with it. It's not in the Bible. Now, if you have a Bible app, or if you brought your Bible, pull that out. If you, if you have a Bible app, pull that out. Pull, go to pull out your phone, open up your Bible app. We're going to look for something here. Okay? Go to, or flip to, it's Matthew 6.13. So if you have your phone, open that up. Matthew 6.13. Or you can flip to it if you have a print Bible. Okay, go ahead and look it up. Matthew 6.13. Okay? You might notice. It's not there. Yeah. Where is it? So here's what the NIV looks like when I pull it up on my phone. And this line isn't there. And my guess is for a lot of you, if you've got the NIV open, then that's probably what yours looks like. Now, anyone, does anyone in here actually see that last line in, in the version that you're looking at. Okay, what version are you in? Okay, apologize. Is it a King James, New King James? Okay, well, I'm going to guess it is because here's the interesting thing. Here's what the King James looks like. The King James, the New King James, um, there's also, there's, I think it's a Revised King James. They include it. But nearly every other modern translation doesn't. Sometimes they'll include it in parentheses or sometimes a footnote, but they don't include the exact text. But if you're an old King James person or, or a new King James or revised, then you do see it. So why is this? Why is there so much confusion over just one little line? And how is it that shows up in some Bibles and not others? Well, the reason it doesn't show up in the majority of modern translations is that because the earliest and most reliable Greek texts on which the Bible is written, this verse doesn't appear in the earliest and most reliable texts. In fact, it doesn't start to appear for about another 40 or 50 years after the books of Matthew and Luke were originally written. So how does something like this happen? How does it happen? Well, the, the most popular theory is that this type of sentence, something called a doxology, this was very common in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, the passage out of 1 Chronicles that we, we read together earlier, that's a doxology. And you probably notice a lot of similarities between that that was written thousand plus years prior to the Lord's Prayer, and then this. Because these types of doxology closing sentences were actually very common in Jewish prayers. And so then what they suspect happened was over time, people would add, people just would add this because it was the way that so many Jewish prayers were prayed. And so then they, they would add it, and then over time, it just became, that's what the church did. So why did the church keep it? Well, I'll give you three reasons. First, it is 100% consistent with biblical theology. Second, as I mentioned, 
doxologies like this were very, very common. People were used to doing them. It's like us saying amen. They would add a line like this at the end of their prayers. And then lastly, it became part of the trusted liturgy of the church. It became trusted among church leaders and regions and areas. And so it was adopted in. But it's likely that it did not appear in the most, the earliest and most original um, manuscripts. So for th- 2,000 years, this line has remained. This line has stayed in the Lord's Prayer. But despite that, most of us, most of us have repl- has replaced, we have replaced this line of the Lord's Prayer with a different one. See, instead of saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, we tend to say, for mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So let's face it. Every one of us has invested a significant amount of time building our own kingdom, our own power, and our own glory. So what does that look like for us in our daily lives? Well, kingdom. Kingdom, this could be your house, your family, your hobbies. It's whatever little part of your life you are building, you want to control, and you build up to get bigger and bigger. That's your kingdom. Power. It could be money, a job title, an educational degree, social influence. It could be how loud or opinionated you are. It could be trying to get others to do what you want them to do. Anytime you amp up against another person, you are attempting to amass power for yourself. Okay, how about glory? What does that look like for us? Well, glory is reputation. It's image management. It's, it's how people see you. It's trying to impress people or put it on a false front. It's likes, shares, comments. You could do hundreds of things a day striving for your own glory. So which is it for you? Where do you find your time and your energy going? Well, for me it's probably glory. Because you see, I want to be liked. I want to be appreciated. I crave validation. I want to feel good about myself. And even if that's, all that striving is mostly internal, I'm still fixated on my glory. So what is it for you? Which of these it is takes your energy and your heart, your time? I think we've all got one. So, here's the rub, though. When our aspirations are self-serving, our prayers become self-serving. But this line is the antidote to a self-centered faith. This line is an antidote to self-centered faith. For yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
This line is the antidote to self-centered faith. So let me explain. How much of your prayer life is for yourself? God, help me with this problem. God, heal this body part that aches. God, bless this food I'm about to receive. We constantly pray for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying this is wrong. Because even the last few lines of the Lord's Prayer were focused on us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. But this line, this line says nothing about us. It is all about God. We end the Lord's Prayer by putting our emphasis where it belongs. On God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory. This line is a lesson in humility. It's humbling to say that my life is not about my kingdom, my power, and my glory. Uh, I love how an anonymous blogger from a Christian ministry called Power to Change put it. I ran across this blog as I was reading for this uh, sermon here. My selfish nature is narrow and concerned only with the priorities of my little kingdom. The world system provokes my ambitious desires and lures me into believing that it is up to me to attain power, success, comfort, and recognition. I want to be a self-made person. I want things to go my way. I overlay my plan and preferences on the way I want God's kingdom to come. This line is the antidote to self-centered prayer. So I wonder what would happen if we stopped praying so much for ourselves and started praying more for God's kingdom to come. For God's power to be unleashed. For God's glory to be our only concern. So if Jesus was telling the truth when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. If he was honest and true about that, then my guess is the rest of our concerns will sort of take care of themselves. So, let's say you've been so far and you're like, okay, I want to start praying more for God's kingdom and power and glory. What does that actually mean? Those are great church words. Pastors love to use them. But what does that actually mean? Well, let me break it down. Let's define our terms. So, God's kingdom. Now, we talked about this in week two, so if you missed that one, you can go back and listen to a whole lot about God's kingdom. But it's God's rule and reign. It's where God's will always happens. It's, It's restoration. It's justice. It's wholeness. See, God both possesses and presides over his vast kingdom as the supreme authority. And God's kingdom is arguably the most important concept in the whole Bible. So when you pray, God, your king, yours is the kingdom, what you're saying is you're abandoning your kingdom. And you're recognizing God as the rightful ruler of his kingdom and yours. 
How about God's power? What does that mean? Well, this is often called God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. And here, meaning that God is able to do all his holy will. There, There is never something that God is unable to do that is a part of his will or his character. Fifty-six times in Scripture is God described as almighty. We say God almighty, it's because he is almighty. God possesses not a mere portion, not a mere portion of some power, but all power in heaven and earth. So when you pray, God, yours is the power. You are relinquishing your power. And you are recognizing God as almighty. How about glory? This one one can be a little tougher to understand. See, this is God's honor. It's his excellent reputation, his character, or even his majestic beauty and splendor. And it manifests itself throughout Scripture as an actual bright light that surrounds God. So when you pray, God, yours is the glory, you are committing yourself to a life of recognizing God as full of glory. You're you're committing to representing God with honor in your life. In a sense, your life is about making God look good. Not you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, if you routinely pray this, if you routinely pray for God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory, especially over and against your power, your kingdom, your glory, an amazing thing happens. God births hope in you. And I want to share three ways, three different expressions of this hope. If you pray this prayer earnestly, and this thing gets into your heart and your soul. Three ways it it creates hope. First is hope for a better future. Hope is a confident belief based on the Word of God that the future He speaks of will happen. That this, hope is forward-looking faith. Hope, hope is looking at a future with certainty. And that results in us. That gives us joy and peace and patience in the present. But let's be honest. If you're placing all of your hope in yourself, you will be disappointed. Because... We disappoint ourselves all the time. We are terribly unreliable people. And if you're putting your hope in on yourself, you will be disappointed. On the other hand, if your future is full of God's kingdom and God's power and His glory, then you know your future is anchored strong. That's a future you could look forward to, no matter how bad things get today. So that's one. Hope for a better future. Second 
is hope for justice. We live in an unjust world. And whether it's the mass shootings in California, the killing of Tyree Nichols, or a fatal stabbing in our own backyard, we know how unjust our world can be, especially for communities of color. And we are terrible at administering justice. We are great at administering vengeance, but we are terrible at true justice. We're great at living out self-righteous proclamations about what should happen and who should be punished. Sometimes that's justice, oftentimes it's not. But God's kingdom is a just kingdom. God's kingdom is perfectly right and just. And that's not something I can say about any system here on earth whether it's the police, the judicial system, or the government. But God's kingdom is perfectly just and perfectly right. It's a kingdom where evil is punished, where power is used for good, and where the vulnerable are protected. So when you pray kingdom prayers, you can have a hope for justice that will never be fully accomplished here on earth. Lastly, one more way hope gets birthed in you. And that is hope for a life with less fear. See, we get afraid when we think our future depends on us. We get afraid when we think our future depends on us. We get controlling, bossy, or demanding. Or we go the other way and get worried, anxious, or depressed. And if you are any of those right now, you are probably living out of fear. But this prayer relieves fear because it reminds us that our future is in God's hands, not ours. I love how the early church father, John Chrysostom, described this. Back in 400 A.D., this is what he wrote about the Lord's Prayer. And remember that the line just preceding this one talks about temptation and the devil. So, here's what Chrysostom said about this this last line of the Lord's Prayer. Having made us anxious by the mention of our enemy... Jesus again restores confidence that by that which is added in some copies, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Since, if his be the kingdom, none need fear. Since even he who fights against us, Satan, even he must be God's subject. But since God's power and glory are infinite, He can not only deliver from evil, but also make glorious. If His be the kingdom, none need fear. That's why we pray this. Because a lot of us 
are living out of fear. And this prayer is a reminder. If His be the kingdom, none need fear. So friends, Jesus is giving you an invitation to hope, justice, and fearlessness. By abandoning your quests for kingdom, power, and glory. And instead, setting your hearts on God's kingdom, on God's power, and God's glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Now I want to give you some time to meditate. Now meditation is something commanded all throughout Scripture, particularly meditating on the Word of God. And all meditating is is taking one idea and thinking about it a lot. Chances are, every person in this room, we all meditate. It's when you obsess over something. It's when you think over and over again, wait, what shirt should I wear with these pants? What shoes? Oh my goodness. I was obsessing. I was meditating in unhealthy ways (laughs) over what to wear this morning. We all obsess. What changes your direction and your outcome is what you meditate, what you obsess on. So I want to give you a chance this morning to meditate on this line of the prayer. And so what I encourage you to do over the next few minutes is get comfortable, and then what I want you to do is repeat these three lines 20 times. Now, in weeks past during this series, we've done a meditation like this where it's, we, we repeat the line 10 times. Well, it's the end. And this one, I want us to sit under a waterfall of this. And repeat this over and over again. As we split out the line, I split out the line into three sentences. God, yours is the kingdom. God, yours is the power. God, yours is is the glory. And then just repeat those over and over again. And you you can emphasize, yours is the kingdom. God, yours is the kingdom. And let the different words in this hit you in different ways. And over the next few minutes, the Holy Spirit is with you as you're meditating on God's Word. And He will reveal something. He will say something. He will emphasize something as you're praying this time. So, get yourself comfortable. I'll set my watch for a couple minutes here. And I'll pray this along as well. You can say them out loud. You can say them to yourself. But now is the time to let all of these words we're saying and you're hearing settle into you and let God speak to you. So go ahead and begin repeating 20 times. Yours is the king. God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. God, yours is the power. 